We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, the wildcard round edition. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are going to dive in to each matchup for wildcard weekend. We're treated to a loaded lineup of games here. We even get a Monday night playoff game, so this is going to be fun. Stay tuned. All right, Mario. So we have made it through the end of the regular season. The playoffs are upon us. I have just returned from Indianapolis victorious. My Georgia Bulldogs did the dang thing finally after 41 years. Uh, but Congratulations, John. Thank you. Thank you. I know I had a, played a huge hand in that one. but um, You were long-suffering. You, you did your part. See, exactly. And I mean, I'm not even half of it compared to uh, some of my buddies who have been fans since they were in diapers. So um, it was definitely satisfying to, to go out there and, and uh, to, to win, especially against Alabama. And I was in Indianapolis and, and actually speaking of Indianapolis, we just got a pretty juicy quote uh, from Chris Ballard, the, the GM of the Indianapolis Colts. He said on Carson Wentz, I think re- regarding the trade, of course, at the time we felt it was the right decision. I'm not going to make a comment on who is going to be here next year and who is not. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I guess they could get rid of Wentz. And this quote certainly makes it seem uh, a little more likely than a no comment would have. But yeah, I don't know how how deliberate Ballard always is with his speech and and whether he lets something or how even disciplined he is with his speech. Like, I don't know if he sort of let that slip, if he meant to conceal this better. But uh, saying at the time sure does seem to indicate that you no longer <laughs> believe that it was the right idea. And um, I guess there, at that point, might still be a difference between getting rid of the guy that you realize now you shouldn't have traded for and actually finding a better player than the player you shouldn't have traded for because maybe you can't actually you know this this team basically sucks at quarterback it's long-term passing offense health is in serious question and because of the quarterback position their competitiveness their ability to actually compete for a playoff spot is always going to be in question yet they should have been a playoff team and so like now they they just blow it get nothing and get uh you know a lesser draft pick than what's ideal for for um reloading really so they're in a difficult spot. I don't know if they're actually going to, especially in a class this week at quarterback, I don't know if they're going to find anyone better. And it's it's not like they're well-suited to trade for an established quarterback. So they might just be stuck with Wentz, even though he is clearly just depressingly bad. It is so hard to watch him play. I can't imagine uh, dealing with that as a Colts player. No, it, it, brutal. Uh, the guy just runs into sacks, like constantly trying to do way too much. It's just... Yeah, it's got to be so frustrating. I know he had the the one brief period of, of competence uh, earlier in the season, but again, you know, all he can do is just chuck it at guys, and and mm-hmm. sometimes he doesn't even get he doesn't take advantage of the opportunities that he does get because he's so bad at reading the field. But the one thing he always seems to do well, and this is not a, exactly a good thing, he's always able to protect his touchdown to interception ratio really well. It's like I wonder how many times he's looking at a play that he knows he maybe should take the risk like maybe he, he knows deep down like my team kind of needs this throw but he probably like you know just 
air, like throws it out of bounds, airballs it because he, he doesn't want to take the risk of making a throw where he might otherwise look bad. It's like he's always waiting for uh, the turned around, the, be- the the lost leverage corner who's like turned around in single coverage against the receiver so he can throw it up at them. And then that's about all he has. And the rest of the time, he kind of just tries to like hold on to the ball forever. It's so bad. So lame. <laughs> it's horrendous. And, and uh, a little anecdote. So uh, having driven into Indian Indiana, uh, on Sunday, I was able to, to throw down uh, a couple of bets. I put down on, on the Ravens play it like what, what would have been needed uh, for the Ravens to get into the playoffs. And obviously only two, two of the four legs of that hit, but you know, I was scrambling to like find a way to cash out of the, of the Jags or after the Jags were able to, to beat Indianapolis, just in the off chance, I was still able to, to do that because <laughs> it was just a 15 point underdog with the money line, just unreal. Yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, as much as I'm bashing Carson Wentz and I do ultimately mean to leave pretty much all of the blame at his feet. It's like Frank Reich, man, if you had lost if, or if you hadn't given Marlon Mack, those carries in a one score game that you eventually lost in overtime against the Ravens. If you did a few other things differently over the course of the year, you could have lost to the Jaguars and still got in to, to really blow it the way that they did is just uh, insane. And I'm sorry that your Ravens couldn't take advantage of that. Uh, it's okay because uh, I think the dolphins would have ruined the other part of that. So, um, Oh, right. Yeah. Also the is, Ravens weren't eh, going anywhere. Yeah. They Destroyed. were, they were just, you know, I, I went to the game against Cleveland and left the stadium eight and three with with the number one seed in the AFC, and they did not win another game after that. So uh, they had to good. play the spoiler that that was their best chance this year. They just fate denied them any other option. <sighs> no bueno, but there's always next year. But let's go ahead and get into the teams that are in the postseason, leading things off with the wild card round, and we get things started. Saturday at 4.30 Eastern when the Raiders travel to Cincinnati to face the Bengals. Uh, the Raiders, five and a half to four and a half point underdogs, depending on which shop you're looking at. Vegas, four and four on the road against the spread this year, five and four straight up. Uh, Cincinnati, four and five at home against the spread this year, but five and four straight up. So what are your expectations on, on this game I know the Bengals have, have kind of been dealing with, with some key injuries here this week. Yeah, it's a little tough for me to figure out just because, well, there's, there's there's a decent amount moving on both teams, I guess. And Waller coming back last week for the Raiders was uh, something that I didn't exactly expect. And weird game he had, too. He's still limited in practice. Don't know if that means he's really Darren Waller, if he's more like a 85% Darren Waller. The difference might matter. I don't know. I don't know how to tell which one is more likely. But two of nine. He had nine targets. They're at, they're using him, or in, the, in that one game, they used him as if he was more like a hundred percent, and the results weren't there. But uh, maybe it was just a bad game for no reason. But if Waller is himself, that changes so much with the Raiders' offense, and to, to the point that you don't, or at least I wouldn't feel uh, quite as confident in the Cincinnati defense. Like the Cincinnati defense could hurt the Raiders. Like their offensive line isn't as good as recent years there's at least a couple guys who are pretty disruptive in their front four probably like three you could say and uh don't know if logan wilson is still out uh i don't see he's not showing up on the injury report so i guess he's either ir or he's back um so the bengals defense can be pretty good but there's there's just sort of these conditional things and i don't know how to how to sort them out but if waller is there to draw you know eight to nine targets or more and that takes some pressure off of Hunter Renfro, who is doing really well anyway. Like he could just uh, you could get the, the automatic returns of, of Renfro, an improved version of it even, and get Waller going in the way that he can. Then Jacobs is probably getting room to run, too. And every everything might be working pretty well at that point, especially if Zay Jones can can keep playing pretty well. So the Raiders offense has looked pretty bad at times lately uh, at, at many points in the year, I guess. But I think we've also seen them do good enough at other times to that we shouldn't really count them out here like I, I almost feel like the five and a half six and a half is a bit much uh for, for the Bengals because the Raiders defense can their pass rush can cause some problems to the Bengals offense specifically in the part of the offense where the Bengals have been getting all this production lately I know people just look at the box score with Burrow against the Chiefs and the Ravens but that's basically Jamar Chase and T Higgins right there and those two are at their best far downfield not in like the underneath and the intermediate and if you want to get far downfield you have to find a way to keep Ngakwe and Crosby off the quarterback. So 
there's there's a lot of these it's like a volatile interaction i feel like between these two teams and depending like the way certain things shake out i think either side could get the better of the other and um yeah with that with that said you definitely feel better about the bengal side just because um I don't know. Burrow's probably better than Carr at this point. I don't. I don't want to just assume he is, especially while Burrow probably isn't even 100 percent yet. Um, but those two receivers, uh, the way they've been playing lately, uh, it, it's a really dangerous team to go against. If, if especially if that that Bengals defense shows up even a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the Bengals are one of the more dangerous teams playing this weekend. I actually sprinkled a little bit on, on a Bengals future. Obviously, not expecting them to to end up. Uh, hoisting the Lombardi necessarily, but when they're plus 1,800 and they have an offense that's a, as dangerous and dynamic a, as it has been over the course of this season, um, I, I thought that that was like a worthwhile of, of, of the long shot teams that, that are playing this weekend. Sorry, the Raiders, you said? No, the Bengals. Oh, the Bengals long shot to win it all. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's it, they really are dangerous, and this is a year where the entire quality of league play is down so you don't need as much to credibly compete for the championship as as maybe in other seasons it's like the chiefs offense is not going to fix itself uh the bills offense is not what it was last year the the 49ers they're they're goofy i don't dallas is kind of fake so it's like the packers are the only team that that really look the way everyone expected them to and everyone else just needs to be more worried uh i think than most settings but yeah the for me the Bengals is the, the key is they need to be able to give Burrow enough time for those outside receivers to run the routes that they do best. And I do worry about that against the, the Raiders a little bit. Cause like Nate Hobbs, I know he did that bad thing. He's playing great in the slot. They might not be able to get much from Tyler Boyd here. Casey Hayward is too small and slow to run with guys like Chase and Higgins, but for 15, 20 yards, he probably can. So um, if, if, if those outside rush rushers are getting to, to Burrow, then, then I worry about them. But if they don't, then yeah, it seems like, you know, those receivers are just too nuts to to stop if you if you don't get to the quarterback before they get open. And it, it seems to me with, with the way that the total sets up, where where um, it's checking in at forty nine points at or forty eight and a half, depending on on where you're looking. I feel like a game with that much scoring would, would definitely uh, favor the, the Bengals. I think they're more comfortable in, in that kind of high scoring script. Yeah, if it is getting that high scoring, then maybe it means the pass rush isn't getting to the quarterback. And if, if it doesn't, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many defenses are really safe from receivers like those. So, yeah, if, if, if it goes toward the over, if it's not an underplay, then I, I can't imagine how the Bengals score the way that that over under assumes unless Burrow is landing some of those deeper targets. Yeah, so... We'll see how it goes. Obviously, you identified that the Raiders pass rush as being one, one of like the key in-game matchups for this one. We'll, we'll see if Crosby and, and Ngakwe um, can get it done and, and you know get Burrow off his spot because that obviously uh, would change how, how the Bengals function. Do you think this Higgins foot thing is OK? It seems like it's OK, but I noticed they sh- they showed him on the injury report as they like kind of nicking his foot or something on Wednesday. I guess yeah, it's definitely not ideal to, to have a, a game week injury, but uh, I think he's on track. To, yeah, to he was practicing uh, today in a limited capacity, apparently, like they're already declaring that. So uh, anyway, that uh, if he's out there and, and Chase is out there, I, I think you're right to uh, be optimistic about your bet there because they're just they can kind of shoot it out with anybody if, if they're at their best. They're a feisty bunch. They get, they got a lot of swagger to them. So I, I think the Bengals are kind of one of those dark horse teams that, that can make a little bit of noise in these playoffs. And again, this this podcast brought to you by our friends over at WinBet as we get on over to our next game, the nightcap Saturday night. Patriots going to Buffalo. This is the third time that these teams have met in a not too uh, long of a, of a time frame. Obviously, the last time that these two squared off in Buffalo, it was one of the goofier games in recent memory. Obviously, the, the famous Mac Jones three passing attempts game where the Patriots were able to just bully the Bills. The Bills kind of got their revenge a couple of weeks later down in Foxborough. This game, Bills checking in as four-point favorites at home. Obviously, again, one and one. These two teams are head-to-head. New England five and three against the spread on the road, six and two straight up. On the road, Buffalo four three and two against the spread at home, six and three straight up. Your thoughts on this matchup? 
It's pretty interesting, and uh, it looks like it's going to be about zero degrees for this one. <laughs> so um, that's that's probably not as bad for a passing game as rain or especially wind, especially the kind of wind that they had the first time they played. But that can't be good. I mean, like, you know all those stories about Brett Favre breaking people's fingers because he's mm-hmm. throwing the pass too hard? Like, can you imagine catching a Josh Allen bullet in zero degrees? Like, <sighs> your hand Please might explode. No. <laughs> like, it, or it would feel like it did anyway. So that kind of sucks to think about. And uh, it's also not fun to to get beat in the ground game in weather like this. So there's, I think, more danger for the Bills in this game than even the Foxborough game. Uh, like, I think that uh, the, the Bills have to be the favorite just because Josh Allen has shown um, sort of an ability to carry the, the, the Bills offense even when the, the Patriots might take away digs or whatever else. It's like sometimes Allen can just win in that case whereas i think with the patriots offense built the way it is if if they don't win in the ground game in the field position game if, if they have to expose mac jones to like 30 plus pass attempts i don't see how they win in that scenario like it just doesn't seem possible to me whereas the bills i think have like a variety of ways that they can win on offense if only because josh allen can present at least two threats so i understand ranking the bills uh, as the favorite here but I think for me, it would be more like just acknowledging home field kind of thing. Like, I, I actually am pretty worried for the Bills run defense. Like, I don't think their run defense is real. I think it's uh, always I don't, I'm not convinced that they can hold their own against the Patriots, even if they kind of like know the play calls ahead of time in the ground game. So um, if Allen cannot get going or if the Patriots defense just causes a couple turnovers, I think that could be enough for the Bills to lose grip of the the overall flow of the game and if the Patriots start dictating field positioning and urgency and tempo and things like that that's when you're just kind of like in the quicksand uh, and especially in conditions like these so yeah how how does Buffalo slow down the the New England rushing attack obviously again we, we saw it be such a factor in in that first game in Buffalo and you know that I feel like the the Patriots have one of the most dangerous combos of, of running backs, just so effective um, as far as, as what they're able to generate on the ground between Stevenson and Harris. So what, what can the bills do that this time around to, to slow them? Because I, obviously I, I think the Patriots do want to kind of limit the exposure for, for Mac Jones, the, the Jacksonville native and, and the uh, former Alabama quarterback playing in zero degree conditions. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's much the Bills can do head to head with the Patriots personnel and McDaniels' play calling. Like I, I just think that the Bills defense ended up with rankings this year, be it DVOA or whatever. I don't care how adjusted it is. If it says that they're like clearly a top five defense, I don't agree with it. And if it's saying that they're clearly like a top five run defense, I especially don't agree with that. I think their pass defense was pretty sick, especially before the Tredavious White injury. But I think the run defense only has the personnel to be average at best. So. I, I'm chalking it up to just kind of fluky stuff, basically, that they they ranked so well in that metric. I think the way the Patriots take it to them is more like what you can project as the baseline between an offensive line like theirs and a run defense like Buffalo's. But one thing we got to keep an eye on is the left tackle, Isaiah Wynn, a Georgia Bulldog. Uh, he's not practicing as of today. And uh, yesterday he also didn't practice so i don't know if he got injured in practice tuesday he was showing up as limited on tuesday with hip ankle then he didn't practice wednesday then he didn't practice today thursday so that's not great looking at a glance i don't know i don't know if that means he's less uh, or if he's he's on the bad side of questionable rather than the good side or, or at even or whatever but if win is out that's that's a pretty big loss on the left side maybe that has more to do with pass blocking I'm not actually sure and and the other four components of the Patriots line is still very strong so um it's not like one starter down is that much reason if this as good as win is this is not like Jonathan Ogden being subtracted from the offensive line if he does miss the game they can probably get by for a little bit of time without him but that's one thing and Harris's hamstring has seemed to actually be a bother like he left he left uh was it last week the last game that they had that he left the game after getting a decent workload and it seemed like he actually had to tighten up on him. So, mm-hmm. you know, if he, if he's not hundred percent, if that cold makes that hamstring tighten up, uh, things like that can maybe create enough of a deficit relative to the first two games in the ground game for the bills to sort of just stay ahead, just, you know, barely escape, um, by the skin of their teeth there. And the other thing is, um, not that this has to do with the Patriots offense, but Kyle Duggar, uh, 
has is not is apparently not practicing today. He's showing up as limited in the last two days, but uh, he's a big part of their like middle of the field defense. And if he's out, then uh, if then the Patriots might be vulnerable to kind of more vulnerable than usual to kind of like the ground game. A uh, guy like Dawson Knox, I guess, mm-hmm. the, the slot receivers, things like that. So it, the, the Bills do have, I think, the overall kind of like personnel advantage, especially if Wynn and, and Duggar are out. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think they can really stop the run. I think it's more like they need to create, they need to get enough points on the Patriots that the Patriots have to worry about abandoning the run, basically. Yeah, so th- this is one of the trickier games for for me to figure out on this entire slate. Um, you know, d- divisional rivals that that have so much recent history just over the last uh, month or so. It, it's really really tricky to figure out, and and the two games went in such drastically um, different directions. I kind of feel like the Patriots go up there and get the win. That I, I yeah, just, I mean, I see it happening. I don't want to pick against them because if, if Isaiah Wynn doesn't, if, if, if Isaiah Wynn is out and that tanks their ground game, that's the only way I really feel safe for the Patriots. And I know Josh Allen did a good job this year. I'm not trying to say he did a bad job or something, but his numbers are not clean. 63.3% completed at 6.8 yards per attempt. That's like Carson Wentz level efficiency on a yardage basis. A lot of touchdowns in there. Uh, fair enough. And there's a lot of big plays. Certainly Andy was carrying the team the entire time. So like that, that gives them the benefit of the doubt, but like those are the results of the bills offense, you know? And if those touchdowns aren't happening, I, if they're not getting favorable, favorable field positioning on a lot of these plays that all of a sudden could just look like a much worse, much less competitive sample than it is. So um, if Allen has a bad game and the, and the Patriots don't on offense, that's enough to put them in a really difficult spot. So uh, obviously this time last year, I don't, I don't think anyone could say anything bad about Brian Dable and the way that he had this offense designed. Now that we have a 17 game sample of the bills this year, why do you think they regress so much on offense? I know Dable has been getting a lot of criticism and I'm sure he's actually done some things worse than he could have. I'm I'm not really denying that, but I tend to look at things. um, I'm always thinking about like the adjustments, like the, the, the sum of like traits and player capital that, that an offense has and the adjustments that you can make within that, because every, every sort of like interaction with the defense can be renegotiated. Like an offense can play a different guy here, there defense can do the same and it can force the numbers to kind of adjust to a new equilibrium. And I think Dable, uh, took some necessary losses that just usually make the stuff of what we ra- call random regression. You know, it's like it's basically random, but it happens for reasons, just reasons that no one could anticipate. And I think that he particularly with Allen still having um, 42 touchdowns in 17 games in what's otherwise looked like a down year is a testament to what I would say is the Bills having a, a great overall operation with Dable and this being a down year and still turning out the way it has is actually a testament to him. It's, it's, it's a good thing because unless you expect Allen to average like 6.2 yards per attempt next year, you're already good enough with this. And you also otherwise have reason to believe he'll kind of like bounce back a little bit just for the same random regression reasons. So I think Dable's doing a good job. And, and the reasons that I think they've gotten surprised this year have largely to do with the same kind of things that surprised Pat Mahomes in the chiefs offense. Uh, a lot of really good passing games have seen worse results this year. It's basically just Rogers who hasn't and, and Brady, I guess you would say uh, and, and burrow like players with extreme wide receiver cornerback advantages on most plays. And um, I think, I think with Allen, the Ravens made it a little tougher on them this year by giving the look of that zone heavy defense in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. Like that basically caught Dable and Allen by surprise. And I think, there's like a mechanical reason for why it, it's tougher on the bills. It's because when teams were playing more man coverage against them, especially last year, something that, that I would imagine they've done a lot less this year too. It's like they would do a lot of motion. Um, defense would have to kind of reveal things before the snap about what they were going to do because they had to so specifically account for Stefan Diggs that they'd kind of have guys leaning certain ways. They'd have, they'd have alignments that tipped off uh, pre-snap motion, pulling defenders with certain guys, giving away the the intentions of the defense. And then after the snap, Allen could just basically play playground ball and he didn't have to really, you know, think on his feet. And when he didn't, when he spent less time thinking, he had more time to make sure his throwing motion was right and set up his base and things like that. And he became much more accurate than he ever looked before. And I think you're seeing more of the inaccuracy come back this year because he's basically having to process more after the snap. And that's just putting a drag on his, 
uh, bandwidth on his, his whole processing schedule. And uh, Stefan Diggs is not getting the same outrageous returns that he did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like with, with those two things happening, I think that explains uh, basically everything that ever went wrong this year with the Bills offense. And in the meantime, you might hope that they could lean on a run game to pick up the slack, especially if they're getting that too high stuff that's so hard to throw deep against. It's like they, they kind of lean on Allen as a runner in that case and lately Singletary. But I think Singletary is just no good. I don't think defenses play him at all. And I think uh, defenses will always let Singletary get to 25 carries or let the Bills, you know, call call that, th- you know, bluff against them or something because they they know that if Singletary is getting the ball, then Josh Allen is not. And you, you really do want to encourage the Bills to give it to Singletary as much as possible. But if you're encouraging a defense to give the uh, an offense to give the ball to a running back like that, as an offense, you want someone a lot more threatening than Devin Singletary. You want someone who can hurt the defense for not respecting the ground game. And I don't think Singletary can do that. So um, my criticism of Dable just has to do with the running back personnel handling. I think they're going with Singletary for kind of like, I don't know if they just like him the most or if they're kind of going with anecdotal reflex judgment. Like it looked like they were about ready to bench. Uh, uh, They were ready to bench Singletary and Moss basically for Matt Breida like six weeks ago. And then he fumbled one time and they just went to Singletary the whole way. And I I think Mm -hmm. that the results of Singletary in that sample were just incidental. Like I think almost any running back would have gotten those numbers. And I happen to believe Breida and Moss both would have done more. Um, But yeah, I think Singletary really holds that team back. And if, if they had a better rushing threat, that would probably be a way to to jar the defense looser for for Allen before the snap, including because like you're going to get a different safety alignment with a good running back than you are with Singletary. That was pretty good analysis there, Mario. That was pretty pretty in depth. Um, yeah, definitely. Sorry for agree. blithering so long. <laughs> no, no, is is good because I mean it, it it was just such like kind of a, a stark contrast to to last year where everything felt so easy and even though the results were, were really pretty good uh, on the overall that this year it, it did feel like they weren't hitting their stride quite quite as often this year as, as they did a year ago where things just felt a little bit easier for them on like a play-to-play week-to-week uh, type of basis um, before we get on over to our next game uh, listener and viewer Scott wants to know who's the lower seed this week that you think will win this weekend um so, John, I guess you would say the Patriots, right? I like the Patriots, and I'm I got a morbid curiosity about the 49ers, too. Yeah, I was gonna say the 49ers. So that that's actually the smallest spread uh, of the entire weekend, just with uh, the, the Cowboys checking in as just three point favorites at home. I don't think they have like a great home field advantage necessarily. And I know that the, the Cowboys have such a like a, an athletic defense that that has playmakers at each level, but Sometimes, you know, a team like the 49ers, the way that they set up and the way that they kind of have their offensive philosophy, it feels like they can just kind of bully around a little bit. And, and even though like the names really stand out for it for Dallas, maybe um, that they're not able to execute the way that they would normally like. And I, I just don't think that they're going to put guys like, um, you know, the, the edge rushers in line to, to get after Jimmy G because he's going to be getting rid of the ball quickly or Trevon Diggs to, to make those interceptions because they're, they're just not going to be. Um, looking in his direction maybe as much, and they're just going to kind of bludgeon with the run game and with Debo Samuel. So I, I would not be shocked if San Francisco went in. I would not want to play them right now. Yeah, I would go also with the the 40. I guess we're kind of copping out going with the lowest spread, but that's, that's how <laughs> I see counts. it too. It answers and the it's, question technically. Yeah, so um, that's that's those are the teams that we'd be looking at. But I, I see Scott's second question about going away from Josh Allen in a one-and-done playoff does that does that, that oh so that means like if you use, if you use him, the Patriots, you you can't him. next week mm-hmm. um man i guess i almost would think about that because the odds if, if the even if the bills win the odds of this being the best game for allen in the playoffs strikes me as not particularly high uh like there's there's almost any other defense i'd rather have him go against in the afc than than the patriots so if you pass on allen this week maybe you miss out on a decent game, but if you advance anyway, then you have Josh Allen another week. And if Allen has a bad game, then you're just kind of like glad you didn't take him. But uh, yeah, I, I don't like the Patriots matchup for him as much as literally anybody else. So that's, so that's it, as far that's as like the one and done, maybe in more of like a, like a GPP type of mindset. What do you think about Jalen hurts in a one and done? Cause I don't think Ooh, that they're going to make a, a deep thought. run. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. Uh, 
especially if you're trying to follow the reasoning of you know picking losers because uh, I, I really don't expect the Eagles to make that close. But uh, yeah, it's it's not exactly a matchup that I like. But Hertz has shown so many times the ability to put up fancy points even in garbage time if necessary. That uh, yeah, I, I I think I'd be leaning that way. But I am not any kind of authority on uh, playoff fantasy strategy or anything else. Uh, so that's uh, the caveat there. Yeah, it's tricky. I um I did before the the field was set a week ago. So last Friday I did a underdog. Um, playoff best ball so like to teams that were still in contention for a playoff spot were, were in the in the field and like my mind was just racing I just I had no idea what like how exactly I wanted to to layer my team and, and you know who I wanted to kind of cast my lot behind ended up with a lot of titans um, so uh, go titans, go I titans guess. yes <laughs> <laughs> but before we move on to to the Sunday action I uh, got some quick messages from our friends over at Blue Wire we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, moving on Sunday. Speaking of that Eagles-Bucks game, uh, the Bucks eight-and-a-half-point favorites at home in this matchup. Uh, Philly five and four against the spread again uh, at or, I'm sorry on the road six and three straight up Tampa Bay six and two against the spread at home seven and one straight up with the, obviously that one loss being the, that weird weird shutout against the Saints these two teams matched up in week six the Bucks won that one in Philly I remember being pretty upset that the I think there was a backdoor cover there in in, in favor of the Eagles and I remember being a little salty about that one but your thoughts on this matchup. Yeah, so the, circling back a little bit to the to the Hertz one and done consideration, I don't know if this would change anything for you, John, but I didn't realize that the weather is apparently not necessarily going to be very good in Tampa Bay. Normally at this time of the year, you're just like, oh, go with the passing games and the the Florida home team games because that's uh, there's no snow there. And uh, in this case, though, we're going to get a. am looking at NFLweather.com. I don't know what they base their numbers on, but it's listing right now a uh, I'm going to say like 58 percent chance of precipitation during this game and winds over 20 miles per hour. So Ooh. that I don't want to say that it like makes it easier for the Eagles. They might just find that they can't run the ball, especially when the Buccaneers don't care about the pass at all. But mm-hmm. Brady, as much as I think Brady's numbers aren't actually a reflection of how well he's played, I think it's more of like a reflection of the surrounding offense. They definitely make their points through the air. So if if the rain and the wind bring the ball in, maybe that's maybe the maybe that's the kind of uh, you know blind chance kind of thing that the Eagles need to take up. Maybe maybe if they had the choice, they should say like, yes, give us weather like that, so that they have to win with uh whatever Keyshawn Vaughn, I guess, and whatever else. Um, but yeah, I do worry about Jalen Hurts and both passing games, but especially Hurts in the rain. I mean, he can probably run pretty well, I guess, right. especially if, if defenders are like trying to plant and turn and they're slipping on the field or something like that. But I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea of a bad passer in a rainy, windy game. I just can't really get over it. Yeah, no, that that's totally fair. Like, you know, Tampa, you know, famously has some pretty torrential downpours. And if it's really windy on top of that, uh, you know, Brady is, has lived in, in rough conditions, uh, for, you know, tons of years before he, he got down to Tampa Bay. So like he, he's no stranger to playing in, in bad weather conditions this time of year. Um, but, but I do, do wonder, 
uh, for, from your side of things with the the kind of shortened depth that, that the Buccaneers have as far as their, their passing game is concerned. You know, d- does Darius Slay kind of take one one guy out of this and, and you know, we're going to have to see some kind of uh, maybe inexperienced guys need to step up here for Tampa? Well, Slay's doing a good job, so he's, he still seems really tough, but um, I don't know if he can do anything against a guy like Mike Evans or, you know, the ways that Slay usually beats receivers against him are maybe ways that don't work quite as well against a guy as big as Evans. So uh, I'm not trying to count out Slay exactly because he's, he's really good and uh, he seems as pretty much as sharp as ever, but uh, he, it's not like when he makes the plays that we, you know, think about and, and think about how good he is. It's not like those are plays that are being done against, uh, you know, Rams's Barden every time. It's more like he's going against Terry McLaurin or somebody like that. Guys who are around six foot two ten who are fast. Like those kinds of receivers are neutralized really well by Darius Slay. But part of the reason why Mike Evans is on a Hall of Fame trajectory is there's no real solution to a six five two thirty guy who runs a four five flat. And uh, Slay, Slay might play him as well as possible and still kind of get like diminishing returns for the fact. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a good counter. Good, good context there as far as, as how he uh, lines up against a guy like, like Evans. And then what do you think of, of the, the safety personnel in Philly going up against a guy like Gronk? Uh, I can't even remember who, who so they have my, Malcolm Jenkins and um, man, is it McLeod or somebody like that there? Uh, I can't remember who their safeties actually are. Oh no. Malcolm Jenkins with the saints idiot. Um, yeah. Who do they have like Kevon Wallace playing safety nowadays? I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but in any case, I, I, I think this is one of those settings where and this could apply to Evans too. Like you remember that, uh, that 49ers Colts, I guess it must've been where, uh, Michael Pittman caught that one pass against Drake Kirkpatrick and the single mm-hmm. coverage. And it was a rainy day, ra- rainy game. And uh, Pittman wasn't open, but like Kirkpatrick having to stop for even a second to readjust and play the ball, he just pretty much hit the deck uh, and Pitt or, you know, he couldn't jump to, to play above the rim where Pittman was. That makes a guy like Evans, I think, a little more dangerous, especially in the red zone or something like that, because like he doesn't need to get open in the first place. And if you're, if you're just like worse at jumping in these conditions as a corner, that that's worse news for you yet. Um, so I think something similar applies to Gronk, like. If, if they do basic play action stuff and the defense honors it in the slightest, that at that point could be really difficult to stop Gronk, even if he's not getting open at all. Because at that point, he's just he's playing rebound drill and it's it's not as difficult as in some other conditions when the defense is you know slipping around like that. Yeah, that, that's that's a, a, a type of setup that, that it's tough to, to get the win on Gronk on. And, and as far as that, that safety personnel for Philly, it, it is McLeod and uh, Anthony Harris seems. To be oh there. yeah. Not. I think that's, I think that's stinky. I think, I think they're not good. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm, I don't think they're that good. So yes. And, and uh, looking at the total in this one, uh, 46, so that um, doesn't seem like the expectation that the weather is going to completely tank these offenses necessarily, but I, I think for three points at least. Yeah. Oh, it, it, so it is moving a little bit. So yeah, it started at forty nine apparently, and now it's down to forty six. But okay. um, there could be defensive touchdowns for the, for the Buccaneers, not just not to just be a Hertz basher or something. But I don't know. It's not it's not easy to play the Buccaneers defense. They're, they they got some ways to be hurtful to offenses, and I think it's been a down year for the for the Buccaneers defense. But it, it's pretty much all due to injury. So if if they just kind of uh, if they have a playoff mode, they could all of a sudden look a lot better. Exactly. And they've been so tough at home this year that, that you know, I, I think this just sets up for for them winning by, by at least a touchdown. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I, I lean with it. I think Philly has totally exceeded my expectations, especially relative to where they were after like the first month of the season. But yeah. the Bucks are Bucks are a tough draw for them. So I'll, I'll lean with with the Bucks here um, and even covering that that large more than a touchdown spread. Uh, before we get on to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at WinBet. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's 
Fantasy Podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in seven states now. That's Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. Also get a message from our friends over at HOFR. This episode of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by HOFR Daily Fantasy Sports Redefined. No confusing salary caps, no annoying player drafts, just simple multiple choice questions on the stats you know and the players you love. That's right. The majority of HOFR contests focus on single sporting events and only feature questions about popular players and recognizable stats, allowing users to make their picks confidently and quickly. Plus, you never play against the house or versus those fantasy sharks. The playing field is level for even the most amateur user to find him or herself landing in the money. Unlike those other apps where an incorrect answer can end your night on HOFR, incorrect answers never eliminate you from the competition. I played the other night and the questions were as simple as how many touchdowns will Tom Brady throw and which player will have the most rushing yards. So make your NFL Sunday picks with confidence and ease on HOFR. Do not wait another second. Download HOFR, that's H-O-F-R, from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store right now. HOFR, it's everything fantasy sports, the fantasy sports world has been waiting for. One more message here from our friends over at Skybox. Skybox Sports Network is your hardcore source for odds and sports tickers. Skybox Sports has been creating entertaining and relevant products for restaurants, sports bars, casinos, race and sports books, arenas, and stadiums for years. Now you can bring a little Vegas into your fan cave. Skybox's low-cost and state-of-the-art Wi-Fi platform is a simple and affordable plug-and-play-and-activate format. Skybox Sports tickers bring you live odds, propositions, fantasy scores, hires, fires, trades, breaking news, and recaps with in-depth coverage for the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, NASCAR, UFC, specialty events, and more. Visit skyboxsportsnetwork.com and use promo code ROTOWIRE5 for a 5% discount off your order. All right, Mario, keeping things rolling. This Sunday, we got the 49ers going into Dallas to face the Cowboys. Again, the Cowboys three-point favorites in this one. Over-under sitting at 50 and a half, 51, depending on what shop you're looking at. Your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> I guess most people are thinking this way, or at least Vegas anticipated that most people would think this way. But if we had to pick a favorite to lose this week on the NFC side anyway, I guess I would, or uh, especially for the, uh, yeah, I guess the whole slate really, we would expect it to be the Cowboys who would lose uh, before any of the other teams. And that's that's for a few reasons. I mean, it's not just that Dallas has looked quite uneven on offense basically all year and that this 49ers defense while vulnerable at corner uh like they're playing with their kind of like sixth and seventh string corners at the outside spot all near the past like couple months anyway including josh norman like pl- players we know cannot cover receivers like these they, they can't cover lesser receivers than these let, let alone what dallas has to work with and yet the 49ers defense has not suffered all that much for it like Demeco ryan's is doing a really good job i guess must be the explanation like i'm more impressed with what the 49ers are doing on defense this year than what they did in their super bowl season because like they don't have deforest buckner on this team they don't they don't have uh i don't know yeah they were crazy loaded whoever was playing corner back then who didn't suck uh (laughs) they they had those guys and and uh they don't have that now and yet the results are kind of similar not 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 as much less as you would have reason to believe anyway so I'm pretty impressed with their defense, and um, if I'm expecting the 49ers defense to show up pretty well, then the fact that the Dallas defense looks dangerous, too, doesn't matter quite as much, and the ways that the Dallas defense is dangerous have to do with parts of the game that you don't necessarily see very often with the 49ers. Like They're not going to uh, try to complete 15-yard posts against Trevon Diggs 
uh, you know, passing the ball 38 times. They're going to try to pass it like 25 times. And Trevon Diggs isn't intercepting uh, an Elijah Mitchell carry, you know? So there's, there's certain ways that the Cowboys have won this year, pass rush interceptions that the 49ers just don't even put into play as much as most other teams. And um, their ground game, meanwhile, you know, if it gets going at all, that's, that's a way to lessen the amount of like the, the space in the game calculus taken up by Micah Parsons. Like you, you want to decrease the space in, in the entire game calculus of the best players of the opposing team. And, and just the inherent approach of the 49ers offense already does that with Parsons in the pass rush digs as a, as a disruptor in the, in the secondary. And then there's the possibility of like, what if Shanahan is just kind of on one of his good days and, we don't see that many bad days from him as an offensive coordinator. It's like, I can't, uh, other than sort of like Garoppolo blowing it. I don't really remember how, the, how they've disappointed on offense so much. Uh, so I, I'm not really expecting him to blow it here. Uh, I expect them to move the ball on the ground against Dallas and, and in situations where Dallas might in other games get a big play from Diggs or Parsons, it, it might just not happen. So Maybe Garoppolo blows it, but I, I think he would have to specifically have a really bad game for the 49ers offense to project poorly. And um, maybe like if Tyron Smith, uh, Tyron Smith, I don't know if he's close to 100 percent or whatever, having him uh, on the left side playing the way he can and, and making sure Bosa has to rush from the, the front side, the right tackle, that would be a, a nice start. To, to be reassuring for the Dallas offense, but I don't know if we can take that for granted. And if Tyron Smith can't slow Bosa and if, if the right tackle can't slow Bosa, I worry about bad Dak showing up because I'm, I'm not convinced. Like, hey, I'm not convinced Kellen Moore is actually running this Dallas offense as much as he could. It's starting. You're starting to see some of the similar problems with the Dallas offense as the, the end of the end phase of McCarthy and green Bay. Like specifically they couldn't complete basic plays against that Arizona, just deep drop zone defense. They were playing with bum outside corners and Dallas just ran the routes right into their drifting backwards coverage over and over and over. And it's like that Bill O'Brien, Mike McCarthy both have this same problem where they can't break basic zone coverages. And um, if, if a detail like that shows up on a day where Diggs is doing less than usual and Parsons and Randy Gregory aren't showing up in the box score the way that they have in Dallas wins this year, it just seems pretty easy to me for this to go wrong for Dallas. Yeah, no, it, it, it absolutely could. I, th- I just think that, the Niners are so physical. Um, if they get that, they get that established. I, I think that they, they are in really good shape here. What do you make of the the Dallas uh, run game and, and how it how it projects in this matchup? A, I'm not convinced Zeke is even healthy. Especially like I don't know what the I know they haven't been putting him on the injury report, and I don't know what the latest of that is. I don't I don't really understand how a a bruised knee gets better by playing running back in the, in the NFL. So. Uh, if he's not himself, then it's hard to see what Dallas's run game has going for it because the 49ers run defense is, is strong just kind of as like a baseline detail. So um, it would have been unusual for good Zeke to get a particularly big game against the 49ers defense. And uh, if he's not 100% and doesn't look like he is, and if the Dallas offensive line is 100% and it looks like it's not as long as Tyron Smith is, is kind of less than 100%, I don't see how Dallas moves the ball in the ground game. Now, I am a Dak fan. I'm not. I'm not like saying the Dallas offense is doomed here because I think if Dak had better play calling and, and more varied kind of route combos and stuff, I think that there would be reason to expect him to take advantage of these corners. But if he doesn't have time and if these corners have good intel on the routes that these receivers are running and if they're not really being stressed by uh, changes in dynamics, you know, if, if things aren't making them think on the fly and spend bandwidth processing on on something or other, then it could just kind of be really easy to play corner for the 49ers defense as long as their pass rush is playing like this. All right. So do we like the Niners money line then? I I can't tell if this is like the fish opinion. I guess it's looking like 51% is on Dallas to cover. So I guess it's uh, it might be the fish side, but it wouldn't be uh, so so landslide of a case. If so, uh, I I do like the 49ers to kind of just win this, I guess. I do as well. So we'll, we'll see how that one shakes out. Very interested to see how it does because the Cowboys can just be so Jekyll and Hyde. And, and you know, the, the 49ers, for their own part, certainly can as well, but definitely played well down the stretch, really hit um, their stride late in the year. Let's get on over. We got Steelers, Chiefs. Uh, we saw this one a couple of weeks ago, and it was ugly. 
for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh, 12 and a half point dogs on the road. Pittsburgh, four and four against the spread on the road this year, three and five straight up. Kansas City, not particularly good against the spread at home this year for their own part, four and five, but they were seven and two straight up. So hard to beat them in Kansas City. But, um, you know, th- this has been like a recurring theme all year where the, the Chiefs, the, the kind of enormous spreads that Vegas put puts next to them, um, it, it doesn't always Mm, it just it's tough it's tough for them to, to cover those big numbers when they, their offense just simply hasn't clicked the way it has in the past and you know the Tyreek Hill detail from, from last week against Denver like you have to be a little bit concerned about that yeah they're listing him as a full practice participant so maybe he's fine uh hope hopefully that was bizarre it's... watching that on Saturday though <laughs> yeah uh that, that, that was a little weird. I'm they're, surprised Miko didn't get blamed more for. Like, I, yeah, they, they were like, look at them horsing around. Isn't isn't that fun? And then they're like, Tyree kills hurt. Oh, my. Yeah. God. Yeah. It was it was uh, it was pretty funny, too, to watch like their, when the when the first report came in, it was like uh, Tyree kills got a heel injury. He injured it at some random point before kickoff and then just kind of like everyone at once thinking it through, realizing yep. it uh, was kind of a funny shared moment for everybody. Uh, but yeah, I think um, the, the Chiefs do seem to get points that at this point we, we need the defense to conjure for them because we can't we cannot assume 2019, 20 or sorry, uh, is it 2020, 2020, 2021, whatever Pat Mahomes like we can't assume that like some some adjustment has occurred to what the to the ways that the Chiefs won during that sample that doesn't apply anymore. And now it's up to the chiefs to find a counter adjustment. And so far they haven't done it. I don't think they've convincingly done it. I think the times that they had big games, it was more reasons due to the defense in question, either playing below their baseline tendency, or in the case of the stupid Raiders, getting a cover three defense, which was very much not the league wide adjustment that otherwise gave the chiefs problems, like basically playing one high safety with Jonathan Abram underneath where you kind of need him underneath because he's so bad covering deep but that single high safety is not enough is the point you need to have the two high safeties um i think the Steelers can do that well enough for whatever but i think their defense also is liable to fall below its own baseline from spending too much time on the field uh having worse field position than the rest of their samples things like that and um i kind of like the chiefs to cover but it's only because i think their defense might just i don't know score two touchdowns itself or something yeah, I do feel like it's going to be tough for the the Steelers. Like, if I'm looking at at you know kind of alternate bets for this game, I would consider taking like the under on on the Pittsburgh team total, uh, depending on where where that's sitting at. What's um, up but, with uh, Najee Harris's elbow exactly? Like, are they basically saying he can play through that? I remember he got hurt last week, and if like if he can't if he can't be uh, Superman, basically, like I actually do like the chiefs to cover really yeah, well. He got, he got back um, late in that game. If I remember correctly, yeah. didn't practice um, as of, as of Wednesday, but you know, Thursday's practice report is yet to come out. He's still got a little bit of time to, to get that uh, rested and rehabbed and, you know, probably just put some freeze spray on that bad boy and, and turn him <laughs> loose out there. Yeah. So um, he, he's, he's going to do his part, I'm sure, but it's like Roethlisberger needs a dome kind of setting to be like, I don't know, within shooting distance of league average. And when you put him into Arrowhead, it's like everything gets, it's like the un, anti-Coors field of football or something. It's like the <laughs> ball just dies for some reason if you don't have a cannon arm uh, and everything goes wrong for some reason if you're a quarterback. So uh, that's not the detail that Roethlisberger needs at this point. Yeah, that, I do. I, I've kind of come around on, on your point here where the, this is a lot of points and the, and the Chiefs have struggled against the spread covering those big numbers throughout the season. But they did it a couple of weeks ago against the the Steelers, and you know that this again a really bad setup for that Steelers offense. Not only just in neutral conditions, but in Arrowhead against a, a defense that's playing really really well right now in Kansas City. Um, rounding things out here, we got Arizona four and a half to three and a half points, depending on which book you're looking at um, or underdogs. I'm sorry, going into Los Angeles, this is another divisional. Um, rematch uh, from this season. These teams uh, went one and one against each other this year. Road team won both matchups. Arizona eight and one against the spread on the road this year. Eight and one straight up as well. Um, whereas the Rams four and four against the spread at home. Five and three straight up. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. This one's tough for me to think through because I'm not a good impartial observer of the Cardinals. I think Cliff Kingsbury, um, maybe he's not as bad as some of the worst coaches in the league, but I, I do think he's basically a fraud. Like I think his best case scenario is he's kind of like the next Brian Billick or something uh, getting hired for uh, the 1998 Vikings, Randy Moss offense, and then slickly rebranding as a defensive guru over the course (laughs) of a half decade of offensive failures. Uh, Not that it's been quite that bad for Cliff, but they they underachieved too much for my liking. And McVeigh has has been fallible himself on the other side. And and it's not like the Rams are a juggernaut. I I think they're actually sooner kind of like a fake good team than, than a truly dangerous one. But at least when the Rams blow it, it's like they're going against a. I feel like anyway, they've gone against decent teams. Like I'm not going to hold it so much against McVay that he lost to the 49ers when the 49ers played the way they did last week. You know, it's it's there's no shame in getting beat by its good team that's playing well. Uh, But I feel like Cliff can kind of just blow it for no good reason. Obviously, they got the better of the Cowboys. It's and the the Cardinals defense is always dangerous. I I don't mean to make it sound like they uh, that, that they're not a dangerous team to the Rams, but. With that said, uh, they are more beat up than the Rams, and I do think McVay is, you know, maybe not seven times out of ten, but six times out of ten, I think he will always he will reliably beat Cliff Kingsbury, and I I do believe in the seven more than the five. So I I kind of lean the Rams here, but I don't think they look very good. I don't think Stafford looks very good. the The Cardinals' defense is weakest at outside corner right now, where they're down to kind of like their uh, I don't know corner four and five. And that was something Dallas couldn't take advantage of. And, and even the Rams, it's like Cooper Cup runs against Byron Murphy in the slot. It, it's not going to be, it, it has to be Odell Beckham and Van Jefferson who take advantage of that corner, depleted corner situation. And uh, maybe McVay comes up with something, but if he doesn't, then they are dependent on Cup as always going against the toughest part of the, the Cardinals pass defense. Not that you, you still expect Cup to win that, but it's, I just mean to say, if Stafford can only get cup going and if Beckham and Jefferson have the, basically the weeks they've had for kind of like six weeks in a row now, that's not necessarily enough. Even if the Arizona offense shows up kind of flat because Kyler Murray can go just nuclear. He hasn't really done it in forever, but I think we, we know he can do it. I don't think Stafford can do anything like that. Like obviously he can't run, but I don't think Stafford has played well basically since like week six or something. And, and that mm-hmm. makes me anxious. So I, I kind of like that if I can be a coward, uh, I'll say like Rams win, but uh, Cardinals cover because they both kind of like, I like the under more than the over, I guess, uh, along with that. So like a uh, Rams by a field goal type of deal. Yeah. And it's, I'm not expecting a clean game from other either quarterback exactly. Cause I don't know. I just don't. Yeah. I, I just, I'm so disillusioned by by the way the Cardinals play down the stretch you know just going one and four uh that with the one win being the, the one in Dallas that was not not necessarily fluky in terms of how the game played Dallas out blew but, it more than yeah. the Cardinals took it though and yeah. uh yeah I don't know it's like I believe in that defense I believe Vance Joseph gets that defense ready to play but I don't know I just I I can't expect McVeigh to show up at his worst here either. As, as much as McVeigh does things that I find weird a lot of the time, I don't think it's in his nature to to show up blindsided here. That that would be pretty shocking to me, actually. Yeah. So Rams def, definite coaching edge here. Um, do we know if if DeAndre Hopkins is going to be back? I thought he wasn't, but I can't, I can't remember if I was just like dreaming that or something. Uh, uh, late see late postseason return. Yeah. We don't have anything on him from road wire since December 19th. Yeah. So Jalen Ramsey's going to shut down Christian Kirk in the slot. Antoine Wesley. Maybe he can beat that five, nine, one sixty Boise guy that the Rams have been playing at outside corner quite a bit this year. Uh, but Wesley sucks. Uh, AJ green kind of sucks. Rondell Moore isn't playing. And even if he did, he's a screen pass specialist. It's not a good situation for Kyler Murray, to be fair. Like he's got a lot going against him here. Running backs are beat up too. no Edmonds. Connor's probably not quite himself. Yeah. Kyler Murray has to play Superman to bail out this offense. And maybe he does, but that's what he specifically needs to do. I think. Yeah. There are a few quarterbacks when they're playing at their best, that they're more fun to watch than Kyler Murray, but, but the, the odds are stacked against him a little bit in this spot, but the Rams haven't been overly impressive either. These teams super familiar with, with each other as well. That's going to wrap things up for this edition of the Rotowire fantasy football podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. 
For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.